take care of yourself. We tend to forget a lot that in order for us to progress in life and to be the best version of ourselves that we need to take care of ourselves we tend to put people's needs in front and really forget us in the process and when the time comes for us to actually take care of ourselves it's quite too late Mm. so it's okay to be selfish and take time for yourself and say no to those opportunities that come because you really need a break Hello world and welcome to Her Royal Science. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Today, we'll be chatting with Rumaitha Al-Busaidi, a marine scientist and the business development manager at Hydrom, Hydrogen Oman. She previously completed her undergraduate and graduate degrees at Utrecht University in the Netherlands, Sultan Qaboos University in Oman, and Harvard Kennedy School in the States. Rumaitha is currently completing a postgraduate degree in financial strategy at Oxford University Said Business School, and she simultaneously runs Wimex, a platform that encourages Arab women to reach their highest potential. I'm so excited to chat with Rumaitha today about her travels around the world and her current projects, but let's start from the very beginning. Rumaitha, what's your story? That's a, a very interesting way to start um, my story. Hmm. I think um, perhaps a young girl who really kind of wanted to unlock a lot of the things that she wanted to do and discovered a lot of adventures along the way and um, never settled with the conventional answer that a lot of women get, which is no, I just kind of did it anyway. That culminates a lot of my story is like, I just never accepted no for an answer and just pursued everything that I wanted to do. What was the first no that you heard and what was your first rebellion, so to speak? Perhaps the first no that I really remember uh, very clearly was being told no um, when it was time to play football um, after I hit puberty. So that was perhaps the biggest, I was like, what? No, I'll just go and play. (laughs) So that just, that just didn't resonate at all with me. I was like, "Why, why are you saying no? No, I'll still go and play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was the general response? Were people shocked at the no? Or did they know you well enough to say, okay, this is Rumaitha, she's going to be like this, and it's cool, we have to let her do her thing? This is basically what my mom always tells me, right? I was always a quiet baby, a very peaceful, like even when I was literally a baby, mm-hmm. I never used to cry with sound. Oh. So I would cry silently and they would only know because I had like tears in my eyes. So she was like, you are the mo- the peaceful one. Yeah. And perhaps because I was the first child ever within the family, within that context, that aspect of my personality, mm-hmm. um, I think my family found out later, mm-hmm. um, which actually shocked them even more saying, what? She's the one that's doing all of this. How? What happened? (laughs) Wasn't she like the quiet, peaceful one? What's going on? You know, so for a lot of people, they were very concerned as they grew older and just kind of rebelled against every single thing that they said. (laughs) That's, I think, actually a great thing, because one of the things that I know that you're involved in to this day is football and commentating and sports. Let's talk about that journey as well. Yeah. So football for me has, um, I think for, I grew up in a family that, played football. So my grandfather, uh, God rest his soul, um, was a football player. My dad was a referee mm. uh, recreationally. Um, he was very well known. So he's, uh, he used to work in the, in the oil fields. And the first thing that I always remember every time I would go and visit him is the fact that he was actually refereeing a match 
every single time. Oh, wow. So it's quite popular when it comes to that. Like everyone knew that, okay, it runs in the family. This is something that definitely is going to rub off on us. Mm. And very naturally so, even the female members of my family are very much into football. So we are a family that watches matches every single week all the international leagues and follow all the international like tournaments. So it just was something natural for me to actually be part of this Mm. and being told, no, I think that was because maybe I was the only one that was actually very actively playing football out of a lot of the female members who just used to watch at home and never used to practice it. Um, But for me, I actually, Perhaps that was a conniving way of actually just getting what I want at the end and realizing very early on that I'm not going to get a yes out of this because every single time I'm told no or I'm told no to stick with the books or watch TV rather than go out and play. So I should do it behind their backs. So I actually used to go and play football behind my parents' back. Uh I would tell them that I'm going for tutoring like because I'm such a nerd. So I'm a straight A student as well. And they would believe it. Like, yeah, if your friend is offering more tutoring, sure, you can go. I'm actually going with my friend to just go and play football. Yeah. And they only, <laughs> they only realized this when the newspaper decided to run a story on this bunch of girls that were playing football in the club. And that's the... Yeah, and that was during high school. Like, yeah, you can imagine. For years, I've been doing this, and they just didn't figure out until very <laughs> later on. Um, and yeah, that was a whole other like conversation that we had to have at home. Of, oh my goodness, what are you doing? <laughs> what is this? This is not what we expected from you. You lied all these years. <laughs> <laughs> This sounds like a movie. This sounds like Bend It Like Beckham. I don't know. Have you watched that movie? It sounds like that movie. I have not. Believe it or not, I have not watched it. Okay, well, you've lived it. So I don't even think you need to watch it at this point. You're good. You, you have the story in yeah. real life. But it's oh so funny. Goodness. What was very interesting is we were a bunch of girls who actually all did it behind our parents' back. Mm. And our coach knew and said nothing. Like, acted as if they didn't know that. They just kind of continued with the whole thing. Yeah, And it's just quite fascinating to see that every single one of us has still ingrained football in their lives. So one of us ended up being the first ever football coach of the team, which is just amazing and fascinating that she's still doing it till now. And then everyone had like different pathways that kind of just ended up just connecting the dots somehow Mm. um, with that. But yeah, that's my story with football. Um, in the beginning and then I think that passion kind of just grew until we got called in by the football association to be part of the official football team Mm. and then from then on unfortunately that was a very short-lived journey because they canceled the team less than a year later Uh. Um, and we actually so for me to get that pathway to reach the commentating or more um, the pundit aspect of things was we went on the radio to appeal to the public that this doesn't make sense. Like you claim that you're canceling out this women's football team because you don't have um, income. And that was during the financial crisis. Um, But we actually realized that that was not the case, that there was enough money, but that money was funneled back to the men's team because they had a better 
opportunity to actually get the medals and the cup for Oman because we were competing in the next Gulf Cup that was coming. Mm. And that was kind of very disheartening for us. But we're like, hey, we could just go to the media and really prove people that we exist and we need support. Unfortunately, that really backfired on all of us because the response was quite the opposite than what we actually expected. Oh, So we actually got... Yeah, it was quite shocking to all of us because we assumed, maybe because of the naivety of being young as well, that you assume everyone wishes well to you and everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I think that was perhaps the very first time after being told no early on that I really realized that we really, there's a lot of change that needs to happen in our part of the world, in my own country and so on. Um, That live show, we actually had live... Um, kind of listeners calling in telling us that we should go back to the kitchen and just wash the dishes <sighs> because that's where we actually um, should be and not on the football pitch and if anything like that was a shock but that was even more motivation to prove people wrong mm. as in it's like why are you saying what are you talking about yeah. and it wasn't only like usual people that Oh, usual men that are not that are just listening on the show. We actually got professionals who are um, coaches, who are really big names in the field of football in Oman, saying the same thing, and that was kind of a shock to all of us. As in, what what's happening right now? Like these people that we really aspired to be or to be trained under, yeah, are the same people who are really kind of really crushing us right now, and that was, yeah, that wasn't good. So that was kind of the motivation behind, you know what, we need more women to kind of talk about this. Mm. And um, I remember the uh, radio host himself uh, telling us, because he was actually quite shocked as well, because he didn't expect that. And he was like, how about you come to my show every week and I'll give you the space to do whatever you want. Oh, wow. You guys can be, I will replace right now all the men that actually spoke to me, spoke on the ra- on the show right now. I'm replacing them with you if you guys will take it. And we took it. And we took that opportunity immediately. Mm-hmm. And that's how we ended up doing a lot of commentating, being football analysts and doing so many amazing things as a result of just getting that one male ally that really pushed the needle for us. Yeah. And what was interesting was years later, we actually got the same callers that called on that show, called me on my own show, mm-hmm. because at the end, I was the only one that continued in the media direction while the others kind of said, this is not our thing. would rather just play the sport rather than just be the face of it. Yeah. Um, and we got callers that actually called in and said, I was one of those who actually called who are very skeptical. Uh-huh. And I have to say that you guys changed my mind. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that's the journey, basically. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really wanted to talk about is your organization, Wimex. How did you start? What do you do? What are your goals? So Wimex started as part of my, un- uh, my uh, studies in Harvard. Um, when I was in the Kennedy School, one of the courses, or at least for me, um, going to the Kennedy School, I had like a mission to really uh, amp uh, amp my game when it comes to my personal skills specifically. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to kind of focus more on the policy side, more than more than focus on things that will be make me a better roommate. And one of the things that I thought 
that I needed more help in specifically was negotiations. The main reason I say that is because I'm very, um, I tend to have a very different style negotiating with men versus women. And it could be because of all these experiences that I've gone through. So I'm super aggressive and it's quite insane the way I negotiate with men. And the perception at the end is I don't want to work with her. And I end up burning a lot of bridges. And I was like, I need to learn how to really be a better negotiator and kind of understand what's happening there and kind of see what works Mm. and how I can actually apply some techniques when it comes to that. And yeah, it actually worked very well because I ended up having a coach that would actually observe me negotiate. And that was, and I never told them that that was the main reason. And that was the first thing they were like, you're so aggressive with men. And that shouldn't be the case Mm -hmm. because sometimes they are instructed to help you and you just don't give them any opportunity to help you. So just have this win-win mentality rather than a win-lose mentality. Um, but honestly, one of the main things that actually, um, motivated me to actually do, uh, or start Wemex was one of the sessions was talking about salary negotiations. And if you come from my part of the world, um, you get asked so many, um, un- inappropriate questions as a woman. And sometimes you don't know how to respond to that. Like they could negotiate and say, well, I won't give you X amount because the assumption is you'll end up getting married and having kids. So until you actually prove your worth by X amount of years of loyalty, then you can unlock this amount of salary, for instance. Uh, We have a really horrible, pervasive culture of asking for your pay slip. So then Mm. you are just given the percentage of 10% maximum perhaps of what you earned before which shouldn't be the case especially if the job description is different or actually adds more responsibility to you so we have various kind of practices in general that really negates the whole negotiation so you end up not negotiating because you assume by default that this is the system and this is what you need to do yeah and it turns out it wasn't only me a lot of us from the global south have the same kind of experience Mm. and the professor was so appalled she was like no you always negotiate always they always leave out like employers always leave out 20 to 25 percent off the table assuming you'll take the lower thing so you always push and push and push so then for a lot of us were like yeah but they won't add money she's like yeah but you can add other stuff and that was at least for me Something that I never thought of. I was like, really? I didn't really think of that. Like, Mm. there's so many other ways that they can add benefits to and so on. Because there's no harm in asking and them saying no. But there's a way that you can actually negotiate and get your worth. Mm -hmm. So then I went to my professor and told her, like, this was such an eye-opener for me. Um, And in addition to that, we did a simulation where you were given, like, roles in order for you to kind of play And that was very uh, useful as well, as in you are acting the role of the recruiter versus someone who's coming in. So you put yourself in your shoes following the instructions that you're given on what you can offer and what you can't. So that kind of opened my mind as well, saying, "Okay, now I kind of understand how this goes. Mm. Um, And I went to her and told her if I would be able to just teach this to women in my country, I think every single woman needs to know this. Yeah. And what she did was she asked, she was like, do you have a USB drive? I was like, yeah. She's like, give it to me. And she downloaded all of her material for the whole semester, gave it to me and said, go teach it. 
Oh my goodness. And I was like so shocked. I was like, she's like, go teach it. This is my way of really giving service to women all mm-hmm. around the world who need that help. Go teach as many as you can. And that's how Wemix actually came into existence. And we've been teaching women negotiation skills specifically when it comes to the salary negotiations. Mm. And now we're kind of expanding to see how we can do more multi-party negotiations because suddenly we have interest from female lawyers who want to be much better team players when it comes to multi-party negotiations and be more assertive when it comes to their voice and how they can actually push the agenda forward. So it's been quite fascinating. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. I can't wait to see what you continue to expand into because I think that's one element that women definitely need a little bit of assistance on. But there are certain other things that are also coming to mind that I imagine you might be thinking of. Do you see a future in branching out into other spaces? Definitely. So ways that we're thinking of branching out. So we started off with kind of a pilot at the moment, testing out networking. So for a lot of women, they um, a lot of the ones who've taken our course actually uh, are coming back asking for other offerings. And the main thing that we are hearing a lot is networking. How do I network? Mm-hmm. Because I don't know how to kind of um, ask for help. What was interesting is for a lot of us, we don't know the power of the network that we already have. Mm-hmm. So by just mapping out your network and who in your direct surroundings and then the second degree and third degree, you will be amazed by the opportunities that you can unlock. Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of us, we don't have either the confidence or have a pitch ready. Like I can secure the meeting or a phone call with someone that's very close to me, but I don't know what to ask. So how do I kind of come up with that pitch for me to ask what I want without feeling like I'm asking someone for a favor? Once that offering is ready, we're piling it in here and there, just getting everyone's feedback. And hopefully that's something that we're hoping to kind of launch by next year. And then another thing that I've been asked a lot as well is public speaking, uh, because I do a lot of that as well. And Mm -hmm. now it's kind of figuring out how how that would work, because... I think with public speaking, you need a lot of one-to-one as well to kind of coach someone and Mm -hmm. record them and understand that. So how do we do that? I'm still trying to navigate that as well. I appreciate you sharing that. Okay, so you've spent obviously a lot of time in Oman. That's where I imagine most of your family is as well. But you've also traveled so much. And I'd love to spend a little bit of time talking about that, where you've traveled and why you love traveling so much, what it represents to you. Um, so I think, uh, travel for me represents some sort of independence, Mm. um, to be able to, and for me, travel, just to kind of clarify as well, travel for me is solo travel. So it's not Mm -hmm. like I'm traveling. I can travel with a group of friends, but sometimes it's very uncomfortable for me because I'm so used to doing what I want to do. Um, (laughs) but it kind of gives you that sort of independence that I don't get, or I don't get that, um, energy from anywhere else Mm -hmm. like you are able to kind of plan and explore and just get floored by the beauty of nature Mm -hmm. the cultures and the differences behind it and getting to know people I just thrive off of that and it came to a point that I was so addicted to travel that I would travel every weekend and then I was (laughs) like okay this is just getting ridiculous stop (laughs) but I just love it because of the what it gives me. I think it refreshes me as well from other things that I, and because I do so many things at once, that probably is more of my meditation outlet 
to be with myself and be one with myself and really reflect, I would say. Yeah. So where have you been? What are some of the places that come to mind that I would say are highlights of your travel journey of really capturing that independence that you're talking about? So I've been to all the seven continents of the world. Mm. Yeah. Uh, right now, the tally is 93 countries and counting. Um, my most favorite, though, would definitely be the South Pole. Mm. Um, I think for me, Antarctica in general was, um, I think, the birth of this reflection, perhaps, mm. um, because I've never experienced silence the way that you experience it there. Like the, the silence and being one with nature where seals don't care that you're there. Whales don't care that you're there. <laughs> penguins don't care that you're there. And you're just one with nature with all its proper, like you really enjoy it. And interestingly, believe it or not, my second favorite is my own country of Oman. Because every single time I travel somewhere, I'm like, yeah, I've been to somewhere similar to Oman, which has something like this, you know? <laughs> and I always kind of, yeah, I end up doing that comparison of, oh, Oman actually has this. So, um, yeah, I would actually say for those who are listening, if you haven't been to Oman, please do visit. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if you'd be able to share some words of advice that you have held true in your own heart and have carried you forward? Yeah, um, I think I'll, I'll split it into three. And these are basically kind of the advice of what you need in life uh, to navigate whatever spaces that you currently occupy or hope to occupy is continue to dream big. No dream is small. No dream is worth laughing at. If someone doesn't understand it it's not for them to understand it for you to make them understand it's for you to really believe in your deep soul that you are capable of doing it and always reminding yourself that the dream can be bigger mm. don't shrink yourself towards your dream if that dream doesn't fit anymore it can be something way bigger than what you actually thought of the second thing is take care of yourself we tend to forget a lot that in order for us to progress in life and to be the best version of ourselves that we need to take care of ourselves we tend to put people's needs in front and really forget us in the process and when the time comes for us to actually take care of ourselves it's quite too late mm. so it's okay to be selfish and take time for yourself and say no to those opportunities that come because you really need a break mm -hmm. um and the last thing would be that um, have empathy um, before you actually allow anger to kind of consume you. Just take time and put yourself in that person's shoes before you act. Um, and trust me, three quarters of all conflict mm -hmm. is because we don't put ourselves in the other person's shoes and we miscommunicate and misunderstand things because we um, kind of interpret thoughts as feelings when it's actually a thought of what that person thinks rather than what you feel. Yeah. And I think it's very important to separate the two. So take your time. Don't overreact. Think about it and then react. Um, this is something, at least for me, like I mentioned before, I burned a lot of bridges. Um, <laughs> that actually helps a lot now as in, okay, did I actually think that? Is this person being rude or do I think that they're rude? And I'm mad because he said that. Mm. Like, it really touched me. And then I'm like, okay, I'll take a time and then I'll respond, for instance. 
so yeah, those are like the main advice I would give. Those are such amazing pieces of advice. And I, I don't think there's anything left for me to say other than thank you. Thank you so much, Romaitha, for your time, for your essence, for your wisdom. Thank you so much. And we hope to see you in Oman soon. Hello again. I cannot believe that as of today, we've released 44 episodes. When I first started Her Royal Science, I set out to create a validating and safe space for individuals from all over the world to feel seen for exactly who they are and to share their stories uninhibitedly. And it has been such a pleasure to create that space for the last few years. I'm so grateful to have met the coolest people, made the most amazing friends, and to have collaborated in the professional setting with passionate and driven individuals in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and science communication. And now, after four years, it is time for the Her Royal Science podcast as it currently stands to come to a close. Her Royal Science will always be a treasured and sacred space for me because of how much I've grown in this time. And I hope these conversations have helped you feel seen and heard, and have also helped you to see and hear others. Thank you all for coming on this journey with me. It's been such a pleasure. And just as I start my conversations with an emphatic hello world, it is only fitting that I end this conversation with goodbye world. <laughs>